This is Laura, host of the Metaphysical Podcast in partnership with the Seattle Metaphysical Library. Today's conversation is with Mark Anderson, a Spokane Poet Laureate, co-founder of the Broken Mike Spoken Word Poetry Series, and author of the forthcoming book of poetry, Scarecrow Oracle. I love talking to Mark, and I think anyone who has ever been curious about writing or performing poetry will get so much out of what he shared. Tell me about your book coming out. The title is Scarecrow Oracle, and um, it's a book of poems, uh, pretty much poems I've written over the last, um, I think the oldest poems are probably seven or eight years old, so it's kind of a compilation of of writing from kind of across time periods for me, and it kind of bridges various different versions of myself uh yeah um so it starts off with some poems that are kind of centered around the theme of childhood and then expands through as the collection um progresses through that sort of um extended adolescence and finally into more of a um adulthood centered themes and by the end of the book Okay. That's really exciting. Um, so does it feel like kind of a triumph to be publishing your, your poetry in a book? Is this your first book? Yes. My first, my first book, it feels, it feels strange for sure, for certain. Um, you know, I had these poems that, um, you know, so many of them I collected over the years and I kept saying, you know, maybe I'll just get the next few pieces and then I'll try putting together a book and then maybe I'll keep getting, you know, the next few pieces and I'll try putting together a book. And I sort of put it off for a long time. And then about three years ago, maybe maybe even four years ago at this point, um, either 2018 or 2019, um, it was while I was Poet Laureate, I finally said, okay, I'm going to see what I've got. And I sort of made a collection and I worked on it with um, some of my closer friends and um, especially my friend, Kurt Olson, who's kind of been one of my, been my main writing partner um, throughout the last, you know, lifetime that I've had. (laughs) Um, And uh, I put together an attempt at a collection and then um, felt pretty good about it and sent it out to one contest and then kind of in my gut, I kind of, I think I knew I did, wasn't satisfied with it. So I put it down again. And then about a year later I found it um, and I worked on it a little bit more, sent it out to a couple other friends um, and including um, Tom Carraway, who's ended up working very significantly on the book. He's been doing the layout and the design work. Um, and it's, it's going to be really beautiful because of that. And um, so I sent it to him and got some more feedback, tore up the book again. Um, I found a whole, uh, a whole bundle of both new poems and poems I just um, failed to consider for the manuscript that I thought might fit. And um, I brought those to Kurt again and said, hey, can you help me sift through uh, my manuscript and all of these other poems that I might want to include instead of some of the ones that I have in there. And we tore apart the book and we were on this long camping trip and I got all this feedback from him, came home, did a lot of reorganizing of the book and a lot of... um, putting in poems, taking out poems, ended up cutting out some of my favorite poems, but poems that just didn't really fit within the the structure of the book. And finally got it looking looking like a real book (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that had um, some sense of cohesion and kind of told a story um, or at least followed a cohesive voice through a journey And um, then I approached Jonathan Potter, who uh, runs Corrective 
press and um, we started working on it in a much more formal manner. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So did you kind of look at it and say, wow, I guess I did go on that journey. Yeah, I I was really surprised um, after finalizing the selections of poems and getting them all in an in order. Um, and I spent a lot of time ordering and reordering the book. And in the end, I was really sat, satisfied and kind of surprised by um, what it looks like. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought that it was going to be because I, I tend to do this thing where I write one thing and then I say, OK, I've written that. I need to write something completely contrary. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I like to jump around with my voice and uh, my focus and whatnot, um, which doesn't necessarily lend itself toward cohesion. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then um, it looks like across the last, you know, seven, eight years, I was able to put together something that uh, that I think is cool. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really cool. I can't wait to check it out. Um, so you mentioned a moment ago being poet laureate. Is that? Can you tell me what that is or what that means for you? Yeah, so I was poet laureate of Spokane, Washington. So um, a poet laureate is basically there's a lot of different forms of it, but it's um, some sort of uh, it's an honorary position that um, usually cities, states, and the United States has one like uh, a national poet laureate also that's sort of a um, a public poet position. Um, and sometimes they'll be completely honorary, like someone will hold it and it will just be um, saying like, oh, this is a great poet from our area. There's some, you know, some sort of way of contributing to our local culture. Spokane's is um, probably what's a a more popular version of the post um, is a a more active poet laureate position. So um, the Spokane Arts uh, puts together the position and um, facilitates it. And basically the poet laureate is supposed to do some sort of outreach and public projects centered around poetry. So some of the things I did, the big one, um, the, the main big thing, my big project was I did a, a project called Poets at the Podium, um, which was basically um, we put together a series of poets starting out um, the uh, Spokane City Council meetings. So poets would have like, two to three minutes to read some sort of original work to start out um, every city council meeting that year. And it was sort of a way of um, highlighting poetry and also just kind of centering um, centering Spokane voices in um, sort of that important space. Um, and then we also did lit crawls, which are kind of like, um, kind of like booze crawls, you know, where you, um, or drink crawls or how pub crawls, that's what it's called, where you go from like one place to another um, drinking, but instead of drinking, you're going, um, even though you might also be drinking, who knows, um, going from one place to another and um, listening to readings. That is really fascinating. Um, so the Spokane City Council thing, um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like maybe what voices you amplified or what effect you felt it had, or how did you come to even think of to do that? Um, so first of all, it was really a, um, a very open project. So Spokane Arts helped facilitate it. And basically poets would send in saying that they'd like to, um, like to be part of Poets of the Podium. And um then they would basically be mostly, I think, read, um, read through and made sure that like there's nothing, no, you know, curse words or whatnot, um, uh, because city council meetings are televised. And um, 
they would just kind of go through and make sure that it was um, that it met some basically the bare minimum of like uh, rules that you have to follow to televise the thing. And um, then they would schedule the poet and kind of give them all the information. So it was basically whoever wanted to um, wanted to read for that. And um, uh, so the idea came, um, it was actually every, um, every time there was a poet or each of the other poet laureates before me, um, they'd all been invited to come read at a city council meeting. Um, but I think I was the first poet to, to poet laureate to actually make it to a city council meeting. Um, and so after I read, one of the city council members um, approached me and said, hey, you know, that was a really nice way to kick off the meeting. And I was wondering if you would want to sort of put, put this together as a regular thing that we could do with, um, with poets. And I thought it was great because, um, you know, there's a lot of, of people who just kind of want to be heard, you know, and that's kind of a, a nice official capacity for poets to be heard in, you know, where it's not just um, other poets hearing you. It's not like in an open mic where it's, you know, mostly other poets or people from like one particular group. It's um, kind of a little bit of everyone, you know, and it also gives maybe um, sort of a humanizing um, focus to the beginning of the meeting, you know, where, um, you know, a legislative meeting of any sort can be kind of, you know, it's all about, you know, numbers and, and rules and regulations and all these things. Um, but bringing poetry to that is a really nice way to kind of refocus that like, okay, the actual, um, the actual focus of of everything we're doing is the people in our community, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're representing the voices of the community at a meeting to talk about the community. Yeah. Okay, cool. And the voices in like a real raw poetic way, not in a numbers way. Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. I like that. Um, you mentioned open mics, so I'm aware that you did slam poetry, or maybe you still do, I don't know. Um, do you want to maybe talk about what that is, how you got started, and kind of what you've what you've done as a poet your whole time up until now? Definitely. Um, so first of all, um, poetry slam, and in particular, is kind of like a competitive poetry uh, forum. So... Um, poets usually have about three minutes to present their work and there's audience judges who score the poets from zero to 10 usually. Um, and then there's winner and it's um, exciting and it's kind of like a rock show for poetry. Um, and that's part of what really got me hooked into, um, like I'd always been a writer, but that's part of what got me hooked into focusing on poetry in particular. Um, an open mic, uh, in contrast is, you know, just like uh, you sign up and you read and it's not um, not scored, it's not a competition. Um, probably one of the biggest things I've done, um, maybe the biggest is uh, I, I started um, with Kurt, I started Broken Mike, um, which is a weekly open mic poetry reading in Spokane um, at a place called Nido Burrito. And it's still ongoing. Um, it took a little break for COVID, but now we're back. And um, it's uh, basically a first come, or you like first come first served. <laughs> it's a, um, you just sign up and the host calls you up to read. And it's um, a really, really fun event, uh, very energetic. Um, some open mics are very quiet. Uh, Nido Burrito is, or Broken Mic at Nido Burrito is much more of a loud, um, exuberant 
poetry open mic where people are, you know, applauding for the poets and there's, um, there's a lot of back and forth between the host and the audience. Um, and I started that out, uh, about 10, 12 years ago or 2011. So that's 11 years ago at Nito. Um, we'd gone, been to a couple venues before, um, but it really became what it is at Nito Burrito. And um, I hosted for, I think, three years and then passed it along. And then um, it's been, it was passed to a few different hosts and I helped out a lot um, for probably the next six or seven years. But um, finally, we kind of created a structure where there's a whole board of people organizing it and um, they rotate hosting. So it's not, it's not all one person working on it. And um, that's kind of how it's managed to sur survive and grow um, the last few years. Okay, cool. And you were pretty successful in the um, competitions, right? Did you go national? I did go to nationals um, a few times. And uh I guess I was I was pretty locally successful. I was never really nationally successful in the competitive um, competitive format. Uh, what I was more successful in was as like a touring poet, which is um, a little bit separate. A lot of the time, a poetry slam or a poetry centric open mic will have a featured poet in the middle. And that's sort of like a, a person who they bring in from either out of town or locally who they spotlight, who is like a 20, 25 minute set usually um, that's dedicated. And usually that's a paid thing. So there's a bunch of um, people who travel around doing that. And I got to do that a little bit to um, travel and perform. Um, there's definitely a thing in, um, in the Poetry Slam world where there's some poets who as they get better, they get more, um, they get to be better competitors at the Poetry Slam. Um, and then there's uh, other poets uh, like myself who, as they get to be better writers and to like understand what like they need to write about and what works well for them, um, they actually get worse at competing. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, what you feel called to write about and um, the ways in which you write. Like um, Poetry Slam, you know, things that score well tend to be um, more uh, intense, forceful um, poems. I, um, and poems that kind of like adhere to that like three minute time limit. Whereas like, I like to be much more of a, a I like I explore things that are maybe not um, as intense as long as like things that maybe maybe are intense, but um, and I like to really vary my length of my poems. So like some of them will be you know one page, some will be seven pages, some will be you know take twenty seconds to read, some will take ten minutes to read. Um, so I fit better in like a little bit more of an open performance uh, context than Poetry Slam, which is very hyper-specific. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, cool. So, but now you've been able to compile poems into a book. Um, so you said the poems that do well competitively are very intense and they're short. Um, what kind of person do you think will resonate with the poems in your book? Um, I mean, I think that they're, um, that, that's a really, um, you know, it's a little bit of a difficult question. The poems in my book aren't like hyper literary or anything. So it's not like, um, it's not like they're really um, targeting um, like a particular literary audience. Um, they're often kind of down to earth um, 
and easy to read, although there are, you know, a lot of um, deeper things to read for, definitely. Um, a lot of the poems in the book are what I would call immersive poems, so that they're like really, um, as you're reading them, they're trying to immerse you into like the world of the poem. Um, so hopefully anyone who read, likes to read that, <laughs> um, if that made any sense. Yeah, definitely. Well, what's, do you have a favorite poem in the book? I really struggle with the concept of favorites. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they're all, you know, they're all little parts of me, so I can't really choose. Um, and it definitely changes day to day. Um, what would be my favorite? Um, one of my favorites is a poem called Yo-Yo Scarecrow Rockford Fair Ergo Sum. And it's, again, a very immersive poem um, about, uh, it's about around when I was, I guess, 30, I, um, I went with my partner to the Rockford Fair, which is actually called the Spok Southeast Spokane County Fair in Rockford. Um, so I grew up outside of Spokane in the Freeman School District. And um, for, you know, there's the Spokane County Fair, which is, you know, big and is in Spokane. But there's also um, the Rockford Fair, which was kind of like our own little fair. Um, and so uh, this was my first time going back there for 20 years. Um, and we just you know, I saw that it was happening. I asked Fitz if they wanted to go. And so we, you know, drove down there. And um, I had this experience while we were riding this, um, this ride called the yo-yo that picks you up and basically spins you around like you're in the yo-yo. And um, of just like seeing and experiencing all these like sights and smells and sounds um, that just like really pulled me back to um, that, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old age range when, you know, when Rockford Fair happened, we would, you know, my parents would drop us off in the morning and um, I just stay there, you know, until night came. And um, yeah, so it's like this, this is immersive experience of kind of like experiencing myself at all these, like at these very separate age ranges. Okay, so the poem kind of takes you through different ages, and then is it kind of like a inner child bringing them all together healing thing, or is it just reflective, or how does that go? Um, I would say it's less reflective and more um, more just like immersive. Um, like there are a little a little bit of reflection. There is a little bit of reflection in parts of it. Um, but it's really just like this speaker um, encountering all these images and sights and smells and sounds and um, feeling the significance of them, you know, and like the significance of growing up. Okay. Yeah. The significance. Um, do you think every poem that is written is, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this without sounding really weird. I so for me, I feel like people who write poetry probably have like a greater appreciation for life than other people. So, I mean, do you think that when poems are written, it's always significant for like maybe for the writer? Yeah, I think that um, I think that there's a lot of different ways to write, though. So, like the significance can come from from different things. Um, like there's some poems that really seek to get a point across, um, and, uh, like, uh, let's say there's a, um, there's a famous slam poem called What Teachers Make by Taylor Molly, and it's basically a, um, it's almost like a debate piece in that it's, uh, it's basically talking about 
the um, how teachers make a difference. So that's like the 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 punchline at the end is that like what do teachers make? They make a difference. Um, and this teacher at like a, a dinner party with all these like fancy um, people who are um, in like lawyers and engineers and and whatnot who are making a lot more than him. Um, and um, he feels like he has to justify himself that, you know, what he makes is a difference. Um, so like the poem is all geared up to make a point, you know? Um, there's other poems that are really like, they find their significance in um, like looking back and finding um, the meaning of like an, an event that the speaker went through, or maybe the significance of the poem is like really to be found in just like the voice of the speaker. Um, like that's a big trend in um, in poetry, uh, especially like American poetry in the last um, like a hundred years. And that like a lot of the the a lot of the time poems, it's it can be really difficult to say like this poem is about this or this poem is about that um because often the uh the poem can also be about small um kind of hard to talk about things like the the uniqueness of the voice telling the poem okay yeah um well, I always think of poems as being very, um, very personal, um, just like a way to express maybe like journaling or, you know, just I think of it as being kind of like a more intimate form of writing. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, you've done so much performance and now you have a book coming out. And so is there something that you um, hope in general that people will get from your poems or from your book? Um, and have you had experiences with people giving you feedback on how they've been impacted by your work? Gosh, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's, um, it's an, for me, it's kind of like an interesting, um, like, there is an interesting coin, like on one side of the coin, poetry is such a, you know, introspective, personal thing. Um, and on the other side of the coin, um, you know, for a large part of my life and my, especially my life writing poems, um, there has been that extroverted element of like performance and sharing it um, that maybe isn't uh, always as present um, for people. Um, but uh, I don't know, I just want people to like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if there's any one thing that I want people to take away from it. Definitely. Um, I think that's another thing about, um, about a lot of poetry is that um, like kind of talking about that, like, you know, some poetry, poetry is like very much about one thing. Um, some poems are more about the experience, you know, um, I definitely mm -hmm. feel like usually, although not always like, usually um, I tend to try to write toward the experience factor more than the um, trying to get like a point across factor. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about how the poems develop and form in you? Do you feel like you're the type of person that can work on it for years or it just you wake up one day and it hits you like a train or how does that go? Um, so I tend to be the overworker rather than the inspired. Um, although there's definitely, you know, things, you know, um, I'm writing a lot of fiction right now. And I always tell people uh, the experience of poetry versus fiction is that like in fiction, if I have an idea, like a, a basic idea, I can use tools in fiction to basically accomplish that idea. Um, in poetry though, there, there's no amount of like technique that I can have that, to say like, oh, I wanna write a poem about um, 
about this or about that, about, um, you know, I want to write an ode to a table. There's no amount of, of technique I can have that would allow me to write a poem about a table that I would be like uh, satisfied with, with just the tools. You know, there's this, this element of magic and inspiration that kind of has to come in. And I feel like poetry, you know, it's important to have all the craft things and the tools in your, in your toolkit to write. Uh, but uh, it's still, you know, even if you are like, like I am, I try to work hard on it and I, and I don't really have those like sudden bursts of inspiration a lot of the time. Even so, I feel like poetry is kind of 90% magic, you know? Um, and it, mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to, um, it's just really hard to wrap your mind around when it's happening. Um, I guess it's, it's kind of like, you just kind of have to show up at the, the writing desk or um, however you write and um, be there for if the magic happens, I guess. Um, but with that being said, you know, a lot of the time I'm writing like seven or eight drafts of these poems um, or 10 or 20, you know, um, and the magic will come in in small bits throughout that multiple draft process, you know, and then like I'll cobble together those small bits of magic until they're one cohesive poem. Wow. You cobbled together the magic through hard work. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. You sound like a sorcerer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's um, that reminds me of a, uh, I read, um, gosh, there's a, um, I've been reading a lot of fantasy in the last few years, and um, there's a book uh, called The Name of the Wind, and then um, I, the next book is called The Wise Man's Fear um, by Patrick Rothfuss, and in it, they're trying to teach the, um, the really difficult magic, which is naming, Right. And the teacher, he just comes into class and has each of the students. Um, they just have to bring in like really fun facts that they learn throughout the week that kind of like um, that kind of opens their brain up that uh, kind of give them that wonder factor. Or if they have to do like he has them do all these ridiculous exercises. Um, I don't really remember what they were, but I remember reading it and thinking that totally feels like what it is to be a poet. Like you're, you know, you're trying to capture this magic, but like what you're really doing is you're just, you know, reading through like random books at the library until you find some weird fact that you can use, you know? Yes, I guess I do know. Um... That's really cool. So is that something that you do when you're looking for inspiration? You look through a bunch of books to see what catches your eye? Uh, it's definitely something I've done. Um, yeah, do you have either. any other tricks? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of, um, like right now, uh, right now I'm using um, a lot of writing prompts. I think that, that writing prompts are really um really useful because it, it helps you get words down to onto a page and that gives that gives the magic a um a place to happen you know a lot of the time if you're like staring at a blank page then um then you're you're putting too much of a weight on the um on your like too much of the 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 burden is on you thinking of something brilliant in this moment whereas if you're um you know, if you're playing around with different words and rearranging them, um, then maybe that inspiration brain can can pick up on one of those tidbits and then use it. Or if you're like the obvious, the obvious two, you know, um, things are always read and write. You know, um, the more you read and the more you write, the more um, the more chances you give for that magic to happen. Um, and the frustrating thing too is that like, you know, you'll be reading and writing and working hard on on 
the poem and whatnot. And then, you know, most of the time it's that, that brain behind your brain that will come up with the idea in the middle of a walk or in the shower or in the middle of work. Um, it'll come, you know, unexpected out of, out of everything that you've done before. Right. It kind of sneaks up uh, from the subconscious or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you get writer's block? Um, definitely. And I think that, that more than anything I get, um, I get like writer's block. It's such a like complicated thing to think about and talk about, but like for me, I get times in which it takes more work and like it takes more of that like shouldering the burden to get that um, small piece of magic to happen to the point that um, that I stop putting in the work because I get tired, you know, um, or maybe I stop being as consistent about writing um, just because um, it takes you know, it's, it's, sometimes it gets, uh, it's hard to get yourself to sit down, you know, enough to get the juices flowing. Okay. So it takes discipline to allow yourself to open up to the magic, basically. Yeah. Discipline also energy, you know? Um, and I also, I also give a lot of credit to, um, you know, people talk about being writers blocked and like, Sometimes that's, you know, um, not pushing through the bad poems or the bad writing to get to the good writing. But also sometimes, like, maybe uh, in life, you just need to be in more of a space of of receiving experiences and, you know, reading and thinking or even just, like, existing. And, um, and maybe you don't need to write all the time. Like, maybe... Um, you know, it's a a nice thought to be, you know, as prolific as possible and writing all the time, but um, maybe sometimes that just doesn't really match with our lives. And um, I think that sometimes, you know, you'll take a break from writing and um, come back and all of a sudden your voice will have shifted and the things you'll need to talk about or write about will have shifted. And um, suddenly you're in this new fresh writing space that you might not have been able to, to get to just by writing, you know? Um, I think there is value in taking breaks. Okay. So even just existing, so do you feel like writing has helped you exist better? Uh, I don't know if, if I really think that, (laughs) um, I mean, I think that it's been a good thing for me. Um, and I think that, so for a lot of people and, um, even like really good writers, writing is therapeutic, you know, um, for me, it's not necessarily that, um, it's more of something I do, um, that gives me a really, a, a feeling of, of meaning in my life, but maybe not, um, it doesn't necessarily help me, um, create those, like, cohesive, um, I'm trying to think of how to express this, Uh, so it creates a lot of, of meaning in my life, but the process of writing is not cathartic to me in the way that for a lot of people it is, um, and that's just probably some, um, something to do with how, you know, different people relate to their emotions and writing in different ways. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with existing, if I'm thinking about it the same way you are, where, you know, we're just kind of crushed under our responsibilities and our stress. And then you have to carve out space to meditate or to exist in nature, whatever it is, um, to kind of exist better. Um, but it makes sense that that would court the magic better if you're letting that happen. For sure. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I'm tired a lot and that, um, that definitely gets in the way of writing. Um, 
also I have trouble um, I have trouble making habits of showing up to writing in the same, you know, the same way every day. And I know, I know that like during my best times as a writer, I, I'm doing that, you know, I'm showing up to, um, I'm showing up to the paper, you know, daily. And that way my brain, I'm setting my brain to like do the writing for me. Um, but, uh, do the writing for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like when you're when you're doing a lot of when you're being consistent with doing the work, then you know that subconscious brain will be plugging it away at the work for you. Um, even if you're not even like being consistent in like spending a lot of time, um, you know, even showing up at the page for 10, 15 minutes a day will like get your brain to do some of that processing while you're away from the page, which it really sucks that that's like, that the the subconscious brain is a hundred times better writer than the conscious brain. Um, it would be so much easier to be a writer if it were, you know, if that were backwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I'm really intrigued by these um, nuggets of magic concept. I remember one time I was, uh, I think I was just using a thesaurus. <laughs> I can't even say that word. And um, I think I was trying to decide which word was the best word and they all meant something similar. Um, and it was like exquisite, angelic, bewitching, divine. And then I realized I thought that they all sounded good together. And I just made that a line. Yeah. Is that the magic you mean? Yeah. Like that, that moment of realizing that they make a good line together. That's, that's the moment of magic, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And um, as far as like a, like a writing exercise that, um, that I think it's just like a really fun one to practice that I show a lot of people um, is to like, first of all, like take 20 random words from like a random word generator, or you could pick through, like you could open up a, a poetry book and pick 20 words that they use that you really like. Um, and then just try writing like a 20 line poem with that. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. give yourself like 10 minutes away from it and try rewriting that poem in 15 lines and then try rewriting it in 10 lines and just see if the like watch watch the language do more with less each time um I think that's a really a really useful tool very cool so you you teach this pretty well have you taught poetry writing before I've taught a lot of workshops um, and like before, um, before uh, the pandemic hit, I was doing more and more workshops. Like I, um, some of them through nonprofits and some of them just kind of on my own. Um, I had a, um, a, a workshop series that I would teach every, um, every week at my house. Um, and eventually I kind of do want to, to return to doing that, but maybe at a, at like a, a dedicated space outside of my house. So it's a little bit more open, you know? Um, and every week we would use some sort of different prompt that, um, that I've built to um, explore some sort of different aspect of writing. You know, um, I think that this, a lot of the, um, a lot of the time as, as writers, you know, we think of, um, of writing in a little bit of a top down way where we have an idea and then we try to write the idea. Um, but there's all these little tools that we can use to write from the bottom up instead. So writing from like a series of words that might spark that, that imaginative part of the brain or writing off of, um, of inspiration from lines from different poems and whatnot. Wow. Yeah, that that does sound like a really great exercise for almost anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that kind of 
I don't know. Would you say that you have a, a mission as a poet? Do you want to bring poetry to the masses? You know, when I was younger, I had a lot more, um, I felt a lot more strongly about that. Um, you know, I, I really feel um, there's this whole idea of, um, of poetry being dead or whatnot that I, um, I think we get um bombarded with and like definitely young poets definitely get bombarded by the idea that poetry is um not really important and that like you know someone's got to make poetry famous or something um but and it was like one of my big missions and probably um probably my, you know, throughout my late 20s to like really develop the audience for poetry, um, especially in Spokane. And I think that that's like an important thing to do, of course. Um, and that's, that's a really cool thing across the arts that um, a lot of people have been working on in Spokane um, and a lot of great groups um, and events. But I wouldn't say that that's necessarily my central goal anymore. I think my central goal more is to be myself as a writer and um write the poems that only i can write and then um it'll be great if in addition to doing that i can um you know build an audience for them but right now i feel like what i have to um like i spent a lot of time torn between focusing on myself as an artist and myself as an arts promoter and now I realize that um, my arts promoter life definitely um, has to spend a few years taking back seat to my uh, arts artist life, if that made any sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so you said building the audience. So what is that about? Is that about inspiring people or marketing to people? Or what does that consist of? I mean, a little bit of both. Um, so that's like, you know, just over the course of, of the time that I've, I've been an organizer, you know, getting people to show up, um, to poetry events and enjoy them, you know, getting people to really enjoy, enjoy reading and, and listening to poetry. Um, you know, I think that there, there definitely is a problem that, um, that a lot of the time um, poetry isn't necessarily um, all, it's not always marketed to everyone. It's, it's really like, there's a lot of like hyper specific um, niches in, in poetry marketing. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, doing things like Poets of the Podium and the Lit Crawls and um, and stuff like that um, are kind of how I tried to get more people interested in poetry. Okay, very cool. So have you um, kind of developed some new connections where you you saw some new art, new poets being born? Definitely, and it's. Um, you know, there's, I think the biggest thing, oh gosh. Um, so at Broken Mike across, you know, like the 12 years of its, or 11 years of its existence at, at Nido, um, I've definitely seen a lot of poets um, go from their bare beginnings of like just barely writing to being, you know, either, um, published or in one form or another or um, going on to get degrees in writing um, and and kind of going through that full cycle of like beginning to um, to really being poets who are out and about in the world getting their work out there yeah I mean that's that's really exciting. So on that note, is there anyone that you would recommend any living poets we should be checking out? Oh, gosh, um, I'm never prepared for that question. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> um, 
So some of the poets I'm reading right now, um, one one poet I'm reading right now that I'm really probably my newest um, newest poet that I've come across that's been really great. Um, this really inspired me is Andrea Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, and another really great um, poet who's making a lot of waves right now, um, who I got to see and uh, take a po- workshop with at a Get Lit, which is a, a literary festival that happens in Spokane every year in April, put on by the Eastern Washington University um, uh, program in poetry. Uh, Kave Akbar. Um, mm-hmm. And he has a book called Calling a Wolf a Wolf that uh, is was really big in the poetry world when it came out. And he just has this really, um, really interesting voice and really compelling language. That's my dog barking, by the way. That's okay. Okay, um, cool. So... Is there, uh, do you have any advice for people who want to, um, you know, you said there's like a lot of poetry that's literary, some of it's very specific and niche, but what if I wanted to go out and find something that spoke to me? How would I go about it? I think that uh, the, the number one thing to do is to, like if you have a bookstore nearby, um, this available to you go to the bookstore and you know ask the ask the people at the bookstore if they have any recommendations um and one one good thing about um one really good thing about poetry in the last i i one way in which i think that poetry has grown um recently is that i think there's poetry for a lot more people than there necessarily was um uh, you know, 30 years ago or so, like there's, there's such a wide range of poetry, um, right now that I think that there's, you know, um, poetry for a lot of people. And I think that either going to a bookstore or, um, uh, librarians will often have, um, superpowers at helping people find books that they like, (laughs) um, yeah. just picking up a bunch of books and reading through a couple poems each, you know, if a, if a couple poems don't grab you, just find a different book, you know? Right. Yeah. I keep trying. (laughs) I have really enjoyed hearing about all of this. I feel like you have a lot of wisdom. Thank you so much. That was Mark Anderson. His book Scarecrow Oracle comes out on May 20th.